Well, I'm kind of relieved this morning because if my sermon is a bomb, um, Jay is going to follow me up with his rendition of Devil Went Down to Georgia. Y'all are supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Wake up, people. So I'm so glad that you're here. Again, my name is Andrew. We are in this, what we're calling Year of Discipleship, which is coming to a conclusion. We are in week number 51. We've been, as a church, walking through the Bible together in this F260 Bible reading plan. Uh, you still have two weeks, y'all, if you want to jump in. Uh, it's Better late than never, all right? So we have physical copies over at Next Steps. You can also access that online. Two weeks of reading left, week number 51. We are in this eighth and final series called All Things New. And we have been, again, looking at and tracing the story of God throughout the scriptures from beginning to end. And today we're going to conclude in the book of Revelation. Today's sermon is called The Beginning and the End. And it's only fitting that we would kind of bring this story full circle from Genesis to Revelation. You know, every good story has an, an arc, the story arc or storyline that moves through conflict to climax to resolution and, you know, the, the happily ever after. And that's kind of where we're at today in the book of Revelation. God's story is no different than any other good story because God is the ultimate original author. He is the OG author and every good story, um, you know, follows his pattern. God had a plan from the beginning and it's never changed. God will bring his story to resolution. And so as we jump into Revel uh, Revelation 21 today, we're going to see this kind of culmination, this restoration of all things. So let me give some context to the book of Revelation, and then we'll pray and jump into uh, the text this morning. So the book of Revelation is written, uh, was written by the Apostle John around 95 uh, AD, and John was uh, the last remaining apostle. Um, and he is currently, while he's writing this, in exile on the island of Patmos uh, for preaching the gospel. So he was in exile. He's writing um, this letter. The, the, the genre, so as you read through the Bible, you'll see different genres, uh, you know, like historical um, writing. You'll see wisdom or poetic um, literature in there. This particular book of the Bible is what we call apocalyptic. Right, so it's end of times kind of stuff. There's a lot of prophecy uh, in this book. There's not a lot of uh, agreement on, on some of the things we see in this book. Because it is apocalyptic, there's a lot of very vivid imagery. There's a lot of symbolism. So it's challenging to interpret what you read in Revelation because there's always the question of, okay, is this symbolic? Is this literal? I believe there's you know, a combination, a mixture of both. Um, but here's some things that we know about the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. Uh, John, the, the apostle, writes in chapters two and three, he writes seven letters to seven literal historical churches in Asia Minor. Um, and those seven churches that he's writing letters to represent uh, all churches across all time. There's things that we can learn from the instruction from God to those seven churches. Uh, so we know that for sure. Um, we know that starting in chapter one, that John is given visions of, of what is to come. God is, is literally um, giving him uh, insight into what is going to take place um, at the end of days. And so um, he has these visions. Uh, he's able to see what's taking place over and over throughout the book of Revelation. You see God say, hey, John, write this down. 
Make sure you write this down. This is faithful and true. Record these words. And, and he does. And what you see throughout the book of Revelation is this battle that's been waging throughout time between good and evil will come to an end when Jesus returns. When Christ comes back, he will bring final judgment and establish his eternal rule and reign. And all wrongs, so I got this from, we're going through an Advent book with my daughter, Blakeney, um, and this is a phrase that I kind of borrowed from there. All wrongs will be made right, and darkness will become light. It is when God restores all things to what he originally intended before sin entered into the world. And you may have heard the, the, the phrase, I've heard some of you use this before, I've read the back of the book, and guess what? We win. And in fact, he wins, and we get to be a part of uh, of what we see taking place here. And so let me, let me open with a word of prayer, then we're going to jump into Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8 today. And Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and the truth of the gospel that we get to proclaim every single week from this place and that we get to grow deeper in the truth of. Lord, help us, uh, even in this Christmas season, not to uh, overlook or to miss the point of your coming that the whole story from beginning to end is about you and it's about your love and desire to, to be with us. Lord, I pray that as we open up Revelation 21, um, Lord, I pray that uh, even as you've said throughout the book of Revelation, let him who uh, has ears hear. Lord, help us to have spiritual ears and Lord, heart uh, to receive the things that you want to say to us today. Wherever we're at, Whatever experiencing, Lord, whatever the season brings uh, along with it, God, we want to hear from you today. And so, Lord, we ask that you would move in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to work through this together. So Revelation 21, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment." The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so Revelation 21 we're coming right to the end of the scriptures. These last two chapters um, tell us a lot about what is to come. And, you know, so let me ask you a question. When somebody presents you with an option, like I have good news and bad news for you, uh, how many of you prefer to start off with good news? Raise your hand. Show of hands. Okay, handful of you. 
How many of you say, give me the bad news first? How many of you? Okay, most of you. So we're going to go with the majority. Thank you, because we were starting there anyways. All right, we're going to start with the bad news. We're going to actually walk through this passage in reverse, starting with verse number eight. All right, so bad news first. Here's the first thought for us this morning. We are the ones deserving of death. We are the ones deserving of death. Not the most cheerful way to start out a sermon, I'll give you that. But uh, remember, this is the bad news. There's much, much more good news in Revelation 21. But we're going to start here in verse number 8. Let me reread it for us. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So whenever we think of, of eternity, whenever we think of what is going to happen when I die or on the other side of, of death, we typically think of, of one of two destinations, right? Heaven or, or hell. And, and I don't want to spend a, a lot of time, um, too much time in this, but, but man, we've got to make sure we talk about what the scriptures talk about, that when we look at this list, the description of those who it says their portion is in, in the lake of fire, this second death. It's not just a physical death, it's an eternal death. It's eternal separation from God. When we look at, at, at those who will have their portion there, we look at that list and we go, hmm, some of those, yeah, man, um, yes, let them rot, right? Murderers and those who are detestable. And we look at them and say, yeah, they deserve that. And then there's others that we would look at and go, hmm, that feels a little harsh that all, all liars are, are going to go there. Have you ever lied? Uh, have you ever been cowardly? Uh, have you ever been uh, less than faithful? You've been faithless. Here is the reality. When we look at this list, the reality is that we are all guilty. We are all guilty. And I can't help but think of Romans 3.10 that says uh, that um, there's none righteous. No, not one. Like n not even the best person you can think of is, is righteous on their own. No one is righteous. Not one. And I think of John, uh, James 2.10 that says, uh, whoever keeps the whole law is good in all of it, but fails in one point. It's become guilty of, of all of it. So you lie once, you have one moment of being faithless, you have one moment of being cowardly or detestable, having one sexually impure thought, and, and, and we are in the same boat, that we are guilty, and that because we are guilty, because of our sin, we are all headed for, for death. That is the destination for every single one of us because of our unrighteousness before a righteous God, that is where we are headed. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, this eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And actually, and we won't dive into this, but hell isn't the final destination. It's the lake of fire. This is the second death that hell will be propelled into this lake of fire, which lasts for eternity. And so it's clear when you go through the story of God, and we've been through it this year, is that it's very clear from beginning to end that there is judgment for sinners. There's judgment for sin. And that is the bad news. That is the bad news. But here is the good news. We're going to move backwards again. God is the one who makes all things 
new. God is the one who makes all things new. And I want you to catch what, what the Lord says here. Verse number five. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. Write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. God is the one who is making all things new. And we talked about this last week, and it's something that, that I reference uh, often uh, or occasionally at least. The four questions that we ask, who is God? What has he done? In light of those things, who am I and what do I do? And, and what you see in Revelation 21 is a lot of uh, questions one and two. Who is God and what has he done? So let's kind of walk through uh, verses five through uh, seven. Who, is, who exactly is this God and what has he done? Well, here's the first thing he says. John says, he who is seated on the what? On the throne. Who sits on a throne? A king, right? A king, someone who is powerful, uh, someone who um, is, is, is what we would call sovereign in control of all things. And we certainly see through the book of Revelation that, that God is, is sovereign over all. He is seated on a throne. This is why we see these different titles given for the Lord, the, the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of, of all. He is one who is seated on a throne. Now, don't miss this. As, as we see what's going on in the future, in the days to come, we see this one who is seated on a throne. And he makes this statement, which is unbelievable. He says this, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Here's what you need to know about God. Yes, he judges sin, but he is also a God who specializes in renewing and redeeming and restoring. This is his character. This is who he is. And there is coming a day when he will consummate all of this. He will, he will make all things right. He will make all things new. He will restore and redeem all of creation and all of mankind to what he originally intended for it to be. He will one day consummate this work. But he is also in the process of making all things new here and now. And one of the verses that we saw a few weeks ago, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, here's what it says. For anyone who is in Christ, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, in the, in the, in the truth of who he is and what he has done, he is a new what? Creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. When we put our faith in Christ, man, he washes us clean. He makes us a new person, a new creation. A chapter earlier, in verse, a chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says this, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. All right, that's a really uh, not polite way of saying you're getting old, right? Your outer self, your outer shell is, man, it's wasting away. You're deteriorating on the outside. But he says this, for those that are followers of Jesus, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And everyone over age 40 would say, amen, right? 
We're being renewed, the inner self. This is something that the Lord starts now and begins and continues until he consummates this fully and finally. He will restore all things. He will make all things new. He is making all things new. And and then he goes on here and he says in verse number six, he said to me, it is done. Y'all, does that, does that ring a bell? Something else that God has said at one other point in history? It is what? It's finished. Jesus on the cross uttered these words, his last dying breath. He said, it is it's finished. He was talking about the work of salvation, the work of forgiving our sin, the work of doing away, wiping our slate clean, the work that we could never do. He said, it's finished. There's no other work that needs to be done. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't add to what I have done. It's finished. And yet here we see at the throne, God says, it is done. And what he's talking about here is, man, every single enemy of God, every single enemy of mankind has been vanquished. Death and sin and the grave, Satan, we see in the chapter preceding in chapter 20, it's done. I've done away with with all of it. It is done. This is the statement that he makes. And then he goes on to say this, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Now, for those of you not named Jay Sermon who don't know Greek, uh, I want to just define what alpha and omega are for you, okay? Let me read this quote from from John MacArthur. Uh, John MacArthur says it this way, alpha and omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. This phrase is used of both God the Father and God the Son. God in Christ comprises everything, all that goes between the Alpha and the Omega, as well as being the first and the last. This expresses God's fullness, his comprehensiveness, his all-inclusiveness. He is the source of all things and will bring all things to their appointed end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A to Z and everything in between. This is who God is. I am the Alpha and the omega, it all begins with me and it will all end with me. I will bring everything to its appointed end. And then he says this, what, is, what has he done? He, he does what he's always done. He calls the thirsty to come. He calls the thirsty to come. I love this. Even in, even in the end of the book, He's still calling people to come to him. He says, to the, thirsty, uh, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of the water of life. This is just like Jesus in John chapter 4. Remember when he was at the well and this woman, the Samaritan woman, came to the well and she was drawing, she was using a, a physical bucket and a physical well to draw physical water. And what did Jesus say to her? He said, mm, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water and I would, giving, I would give you living water and you would drink and never, ever thirst again. And if you remember the woman at the well, man, she was no virtuous woman. She had been with multiple men and was living with somebody even at this point. And yet here was the invitation to Jesus. I don't care where you've been. I don't care your situation. Come to me and I will quench your thirsty soul. 
And y'all, can I just remind you today that if you, if you are thirsty, if your soul is parched today, Jesus makes the same invitation. He says, come to me. Come to me. Drink of this water and you will never thirst again. I will satisfy your every thirst in your life. And he makes this invitation to come and to drink. Let me read from Charles Spurgeon. He says this. What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? Pretty easy answer, right? He drinks. Perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the word of God than that. To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draft. Okay, this, so Charles Spurgeon was a, a British dude. This is a British word that simply means uh, a serving of a drink, or I prefer the term swig, Okay, y'all ever take a swig of something? All right, so he, said, he says this, to drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draft, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but yet he can drink. He may be a very unworthy character, but yet a draft of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing. It's even more simple than eating. And again, this is, this is the character of God. We go back to, to, to Matthew 11 where Jesus makes this invitation. He says, hey, come to me, all you who uh, are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the nature of God. From beginning to end, he's inviting people to come and have their thirst satisfied in him. But I, I love this this qualifier that he, he tags on here. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life, read those two words with me, without payment, without payment. In other words, he says this, you can come to me, I'll satisfy your thirst, but you, you don't have to make a payment. There's no payment required that someone has already covered the cost of what you owe. Have you ever been through a drive-thru, like a Starbucks, or you're getting a coffee, or you're getting something to eat, and you pull up to the window to pay, and the person serving you says, uh, you know what, uh, no worries, the person in front of you already paid for your drink or paid for your meal. Anybody ever have that happen? Uh, it's a pretty amazing, amazing blessing, right? Um, or in a restaurant, if you've ever, I've had this actually happened twice um, to us, and as I was thinking about it, it was probably five years ago or something. Um, we were out of town, and, and um, we, uh, we, we did a Christmas story type of Christmas dinner. We did the, uh, the Chinese restaurant, okay? Um, there was no, like, chopping of, of heads or anything, but we went and ate at a Chinese restaurant, and it was like us and one other family. And we got done, um, and we went to pay the waitress, and she said, oh, you know what, that family that was here, um, they, are, they paid for your meal. They were probably feeling super sorry for us, like poor mom and dad with their kids in a Chinese restaurant on Christmas Eve. Let's bless them and pay for their, their meal. Uh, and it was, it was incredible to have like this debt that we owed paid off that we didn't do anything to deserve. I mean, we were the, literally the only one, other ones in the restaurant. Um, so process of elimination. They're like, we want to do something good. Let's say hey, we'll pay for them. We did nothing to deserve it. And yet it was paid for. And this is, this is what, what the Lord says, that you can come and you can partake, you can drink of this water, but there's no payment required. Uh, 
there's this Greek word that was common in the, the days in which Jesus lived. And the Greek word was tetelestai, tetelestai, which, you know, when people had a, a debt that they paid or a loan that they paid off, they would receive a receipt that had this like stamp that said the word tetelestai, which means that your debt has been paid in full. I don't know if you, any of y'all remember days when, you know, you'd you get a receipt with, you know, stamped with paid or paid in full. And, and, and this was what was common in, in those days. And so it's no wonder that Jesus and those words we just talked about, his very last words on the cross, you know what they were? Tetelestai. It is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. Your debt of sin, my debt of sin that we could never, ever in a million years pay off with our good works, our good deeds, our good intentions, our morality. We could never pay the debt of sin that we owe a righteous God. And Jesus comes along and he says, paid. It's finished. I paid the debt. You can now go free. Y'all, this is the gospel. Amen? The grace of God that says, you, you don't owe me anything. You couldn't pay me off. And so I pay the debt for you. Jesus, the, the just and the justifier, he is the one who paid the debt for us. He paid the price for our sin. And now we can come freely to drink of this living water. No payments required. This is the gospel. And, and y'all, this is so beautiful because this one, who sits on a throne, this powerful, sovereign ruler who has all the power in all of the universe, he uses his power to restore and to redeem. This one with all the power uses his power to restore and redeem. Now think about this for a second because Many, many human beings, and you may have been on the receiving end of this, many, or maybe you've been on the other end of this. When we get power, you know what tends to happen a lot of times? We use power for selfish gain, for selfish reasons, to benefit ourselves, to please ourselves. Unfortunately, sometimes power is used for, for evil. And, and I hate to say this, but some of you have been on the receiving end of this, of someone who had power and yet abused it or took advantage of you. But can I tell you, without making light of that, can I tell you that the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth, is not that kind of God. He is a God who uses his power to restore and redeem. He uses his power on our behalf, for our sake, for our good. Can I get an amen? that God with all power uses it to redeem and to restore, to take us from where we are to where he wants us to be. We could never get there on our own. This is the gospel, the good news of his grace. And the more, you know, we had to start with the bad news because the more we understand, you all have heard this over and over, but the, the more we understand the bad news about ourselves, the more we understand the bad news of our sinfulness against this God who is so holy, the, the better that good news is, that how, the more beautiful and the more powerful this is that he would rescue and redeem us, these, these ones who deserve death. This is the good news of the gospel, that he is the one who is making 
all things new. And so no matter where you're at today, hold on to that. Maybe for the first time you need to grab hold of this truth that God is the one who can make all things new. That starts with your heart. That starts with your life. That's, that goes on into eternity. He's making all things new. Here's the third thing. And we'll go back to the very beginning of this passage. He will have his way in the end. He will have his way in the end. And some of you, maybe you just need to hear that loud and clear this morning because you are seeing things go in a direction and a way in your life or in the world that you think, man, this is chaos. This is out of control. This is not going anywhere good. I just want to tell you that the scriptures tell us that he will have his way in the end. He will have his way in the end. And we've been talking about this whole story of God that unfolds through the, the scriptures, throughout all of human history and time. It's this kind of four-part, if we're going to make it simple, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. It started out with God creating man, the heavens and the earth, creating uh, Adam and Eve for his pleasure to be in relationship with him. And then the fall came in, in chapter 3, where they rebelled against God. And, and then throughout the whole Old Testament, throughout the time of Israel, they're dealing with their fallenness and their sinfulness and how can we get back to a relationship with God and, and, and the ultimate answer comes in the rescue of Jesus. And, and this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the coming of, of Christ who lives a perfect life and, and dies this sacrificial death on our behalf and then he's raised from the dead. This is the gospel and this is rescue. And now we move into this fourth and final piece that really we see unfold in the book of Revelation. It's the restoration of all things. In other words, God redeems everything. He, another term for this is new creation. So everything kind of comes full circle. He restores it back to the original design that he had for it. Another term is consummation. He consummates all of this and finalizes everything. And so as we look in these first couple verses, we see the Lord begin to give us this vision of, of, of what, what eternity, this eternal state of being with God looks like. Verses 1 and 2, John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, first service is, uh, you know, I, I went into this a lot more in the first service. I'm cutting it out of the service. So if you want to hear me talk more about heaven, go watch the replay. But we can get caught up in that a lot. But there's this, really what's going on here is, you know, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then we come to the end of the story and he says, now I see what? A new heaven and a new earth. So God is coming full circle and he's He's restoring, he's redeeming this, this fallen world. It's, it's, the Bible doesn't end with us going off into heaven. No, it's, it's actually heaven coming to, to earth. And all things are restored to how he originally intended it to be. And, and there's, there's, if you read through chapter 21 and 22, and there's not full agreement with, with theologians and scholars and normal people about what's going on uh, in the book of Revelation, but, but what we see is this eternal state. And there's some incredible things that we see in chapters 21 and 22 about it. We see that the location 
is amazing. If you read through this, which we're not going to take the time to do, you'll see that this, this, um, this new heaven and new earth, this physical place that we inhabit is made of jewels and of, of gold. And it's, it's described as, as not just a garden like Eden, but it's a garden city. It's a garden city with, with people and culture and, and um, this river of life that flows through it. It's a garden city. It's an amazing thing. The location is amazing. And then when you read through here, look, like go back with me to verse number four. He, he makes this incredible statement that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Doesn't that sound glorious to you? No more crying, no more pain, no more disappointment, no more frustration, no more sin. Because what's happening here is that God reverses the curse. That no longer are we um, shackled by sin and the brokenness of this world. And so this location is going to be amazing. The absence of sin is going to be glorious. But, but here's what, where I want to land this morning. And I don't want you to miss this. The substance of, of what he's talking about here is, is what it's all about. It's, it's not the location as amazing as that's going to be. It's not even the absence of sin, which is going to be glorious. It's the substance, the, the why of all of this. Verse number three, and I just want to read it again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is what? with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This was God's intention from the start, y'all. It was to be with us, that we would be his dwelling place, that he would dwell with us, that we would be his people, and that he would be with us as our God. From the very beginning, this was his intention. This was his intention with Adam and Eve until they rebelled. And then his, and remember, he comes looking for them. He's searching for them. The voice of the Lord comes saying, hey, Adam, where are you? Why? It's because his intention from the very beginning was to be with us, that we would dwell with him. This word dwell means like, man, we live, we live and abide together. It's, 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 it's where we take up residence. God's intention from the very beginning was to be with us. This is why Christmas is such a big deal, because we celebrate the coming of Jesus to us. So all throughout the Old Testament, Adam and Eve sin. They are separated from God. They're cast out of the Garden of Eden. And for the rest of the time uh, in the Old Testament, what we see is God trying to make a way to dwell in the midst of his people. So he sets up this temporary tabernacle, which literally represents the presence of God in the, the midst of the camp, in the midst of his people. And then he gives them this upgrade of, of the temple. And, and again, this is the presence of God amongst his people. And then we come into the New Testament, into the book of Matthew, and we see that he's not just creating a place to come and dwell amongst us. No, 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 no. He literally comes in the flesh to be with us. 
John 1.14, it says this about Christ, the Word, the Word, God became flesh. This is the incarnation of Christ, God becoming man. The Word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That word dwelt, it literally means tabernacle. He came to tabernacle, to dwell with us. So here's what I do not want you to miss this morning. The reason we even celebrate Christmas is that God came and tabernacled with us so that one day we could tabernacle with him. He came and dwelt among us. So one day for all of eternity, finally and fully, we could tabernacle. We could dwell with him. We could be his people and he would be our God. And even says in verse 7 that we would, that we would be his, his son. This is the de- desire of God. This is why the prophecy of old in Isaiah 7 declares his name to be Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. From the very beginning, from the beginning to the end, God's intention has always been the same. From the garden to the garden city, God's heart has always been to be with us, to be Emmanuel, God with us, to dwell in the midst of his people. David Guzik says it this way, this succinctly states the essence of God's desire and man's purpose. Simply, God's desire is to live in close fellowship with man, and man's purpose is to be a people unto God. So from beginning to end, this one who calls himself the beginning and the end, his heart for us is that that we would be with him, that we would dwell with him. And this is why he came. And so what do we do with all of this? What do we do with Revelation 21, 1 through 8? Quite simply, it's this. I want to encourage you to do this. Give in to the desire of God's heart. Make it the desire of your heart. He just wants to be your God. He wants to dwell with you. John 15, Jesus said, man, if you abide in me, if you would make your dwelling place with me, just come and stay and hang out a while. Make me your home in this world until you are in my presence finally and fully forever. Dwell with me. And I want to encourage you, maybe you're here this morning and you are, you are what I would call a not yet believer. You've not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're investigating. Maybe you're hearing some things for the first time. You have never bowed your knee and your heart to this one we call Jesus. I want to encourage you. I want to invite you today to let him, this one who has all the power in all the universe, to make you brand new. He's the only one who has the ability to do that. You could try with all of your might to clean up your life, You could try to um, do better, be better. You can't pay the price. The price has been paid. All you have to do is receive the, the gift of the Lord Jesus. All you have to do is come and drink of this living water. And for the rest of us, man, the ones of us that would say, yeah, I'm a believer, I believe, I put my faith in Jesus, man, I want to encourage you today to just dwell, dwell in this one, this this one who is seated on the throne, this one who calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, dwell with him, 
man, there should be nothing more important to you than your relationship with God. And if it's not the most important thing in your world right now, man, he invites you to come and drink today. Drink freely without payment. That is the invitation. Dwell with him today. Let him renew you day by day. Put your hope in him and what is ahead. And I want to end with this verse, Second Peter 3, verse 13. And Peter says it this way, thinking of this, this hope, this promise of this new heaven and this new earth that is awaiting. He says this, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Y'all want to encourage you in this season. And I know for some that the season is hard and there's emotions and there's things connected to this season. I know for some of us we get caught, get so caught up in the busyness and the, 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 the parties and the gift giving and all that stuff. Man, do not let, do not let this world and your life drown out the real purpose for this season. It's to remind us of the one who came to be with us. And so we're gonna close this morning with this song that we've sung this year. Worship team, why don't you all come? Um, it's a song, you may, you may remember it. I don't know if we've sung it much since the beginning of the year. It's called Same, uh, Same God. And it was this, it's a song that talks about the God of the Old Testament, the God of, of Abraham and Moses, uh, the God of David, the God of Mary. He's the same God today as he was yesterday. In the beginning and in the end, he's the same God always. And so I want to invite you all to stand with us this morning. And I want to invite you, this, this, this God who at the well and throughout history has invited us to come and drink is the same God who this morning is inviting us to come and drink of his living water. And so, Lord, I just want to say thank you for your goodness and your grace toward us. Jesus, thank you for coming to us. Thank you for coming for us. Thank you for paying the price that we could never pay so that we could be with you, so that we could dwell with you, so that we could have a relationship with you now, so that we could have a relationship with you that extends on out into eternity, that we would forever dwell with you as your sons and your daughters, you as our God. And Lord, I pray that this morning we could once again for some of us, the hundredth or thousandth time, for some, maybe even the very first time, for some, maybe the first time in a long time that we would come to this well that never, ever runs dry. You are the alpha, you are the omega, you are the beginning, you are the end, and you invite us to come to you and drink freely and fully. And you and you alone will satisfy us. And so, Lord, today, with all of our hearts, we come before you and we want our satisfaction to be found in you and you alone. You are the same God that created the heavens and the earth. You are the same God who will 
bring this new heaven and this new earth and you were the one who was seated on the throne and yet your throne is a throne of grace. And so we come boldly and confidently before your throne to you, the Lord of all, the sovereign King of, of all. And Lord, we worship you today. Thank you for who you are and all that you've done. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.